killer bees. What about the murderous J's? We've got Joel, Jeremy, and Joe. That's three J's. Coming to you live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. It's the Killer Bees and Murderous Jays. All right, Blankers. I'm surprised it took us an hour, uh, but I'm sure you were keeping up with Twitter yesterday. Joe, I'm sure you were keeping up with Twitter yesterday. A lot of dusty love is starting to wear off uh, from even the dusty defenders. It's starting to wear off a little bit for a variety of things that we'll get into. Uh, look, it's June 26th. You're you're not halfway through the year yet. You've played 78 games. You're three games shy of the uh, the midway point of the season, but you are five and a half games back of a Texas Rangers team who looks like they have one of the best offenses in all of baseball, and they got a pitching, they have a starting rotation with real pitchers. Their bullpen, a little bit to be desired, but some, their starting rotation has some real pitchers. And you know, Nate Evaldi's having a really good year. John Gray's having a really good year. Heaney's been pretty good. Martin Perez has been pretty good. Their bullpen's not great, but for some reason, they're still five and a half games ahead. The love of Dusty Baker is starting to wear off. As you know, and Dusty, I've always trusted, not so much last year, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt after he won the World Series and you know the Astros cruised to a division title. And we always talk about how Dusty manages for 162, not for one, which I still understand. I get all of those things, but you can still manage even if you're giving guys days off, even if you need to give Abreu a sabbatical to try to you know, give him a career resurgence for whatever reason, where do you stand on the level of trust with Dust? Look, I'm going to start by saying for all you people that want Dusty fired right now, you're idiots. Yeah, I mean, that's just absolutely freaking ridiculous based on your manager coming off a World Series and the fact that as much as from game to game, a lot of people drinking orange Kool-Aid think the sky is falling. It's not falling. You're not 10 games back. You're not the Mets. The Mets are look, look like a complete bleep show that really Buck Walter should be looking over his shoulder every single day. The Astros aren't in that same boat. But Dusty, the way, same way, Jeremy, last segment, you said it's about time they start flipping the switch now to see where it takes you to realize. I think that's my biggest problem with Dusty right now is Dusty is still handling things on a day-to-day, play-by-play basis from the standpoint that he feels like he's in total control. They're in first place. They got a 10-game lead, and all's going to be right in the world. Just watch. Last year, sure, it worked out that way. This year's a totally different story with different circumstances, and you're not in the same position of strength you've been in the past, and you have to manage accordingly, and I don't think he's been doing that. I think he's been sticking with the, I can give guys a game off, whatever. It's bad when our jokes... And sarcasm are actually the way Dusty thinks. It almost seems like if you hit a home run one day, you've earned a day off the next day instead of realizing, I need some guys to stay hot while Jordan's out of the lineup, and I'm searching for ways to get this offense jump-started and better. I just don't like the fact that he seems too flippid with everything he does every day. You and I mostly agree about this. I probably err on the side of being a little bit more conservative with playing time in terms of like making sure they make it through the entire year. I'm cool with days off. Like I'm, I rarely will complain about a Jose Altuve getting a day off. If you need to give Bregman a day off, if you need to give a Brayu a sabbatical, uh, if you need, you know, to be very, very careful using three reliever or using a reliever every game for three days in a row, I err on the side of caution there. I, I totally do. But Dr. Dre saying Dusty should have been out there right after the balk. 
Why? Why is uh? Why is your pitching coach the first guy onto the field whenever Stanek gets thrown out of the game? We saw that last year. I forget the hitter, but the hitter got thrown out of the game. The first guy to get to him was Omar Lopez. Yeah. We see Alex Cintron thrown out more from the dugout than Dusty. I'm thinking, is he trying to save money? Is he just so worried about Wouldn't the surprise fine? Me. Wouldn't surprise is he me. Try- he doesn't need to save now, money. This has never been Dusty because the people are yelling in their radios right now. Well, Dusty's mild mannered. He only gets thrown out like once a year. Get it? I understand. But you got to back up your player. Like the pitching coach didn't get thrown out of that game yesterday. He didn't get thrown out of the game or two days ago whenever Ryan Stanley got thrown out. He didn't get thrown out, but he was protecting the player from a fine, from a suspension. Same thing last year when the hitter got thrown out. And Omar Lopez, he didn't get thrown out of that game, but Omar Lopez was the first guy to get to the hitter to save him a fine, to save him a suspension. That's, that does bother me. It does bother me when the manager isn't the first guy out there to protect his player. And you don't even need to get thrown out. You don't even need to get thrown out. Bring him back to the dugout so he doesn't get a suspension, so he doesn't get a fine. That, that does drive me crazy. I'm not a fan of that whatsoever. We can talk about the Rafael Montero decision yesterday in the 8th. Why is Rafael Montero pitching the 8th inning of a 3-run game when you've lost 2 in a row to the Dodgers and you're trying to go into the off day with a win to salvage a game in that series? And why is Rafael Montero the decision there? I would have preferred Neris in the 8th. If he's available to pitch, go with Neris in the 8th. People would come back at you and say, well, you don't want to use him a full inning for the 3rd game in a row. Well, he threw, he threw 12 pitches combined Friday and Saturday. But even if that's the case, even if that's the case, okay, we're not using Naris for the full inning. I disagree, but let's concede that point for a moment. I'm going Martinez there before I go Montero there. Here's, here's my thing too, Jeremy. He has a hot button about bringing a reliever in and then having him start the next inning. The problem that I have with that is Naris threw one pitch the, on Saturday and he was done. That was it. He got one guy out. Maybe he threw more than one pitch, but it seemed like one pitch, he came in, he got it done, and then the next inning, he went to someone else in the bullpen, and I'm like, okay, I, he's going to stick with his theory. Yesterday, he didn't. He brought Presley back out of the out of the dugout to start another inning and get another three outs, which he got, and, and so that debunks that, and Naris has been a guy you can rely on in a game that really means more. You can say it's just another regular season game. It's in LA, in LA on national TV. Rob Manfred had already set the table for more eyeballs and more finger pointing to go on during this series. Go out and get it. Handle your business. Use your best to take care of the rest. And you can walk out of that stadium at the end of the, the series going, we handle our business. We got two out of three. Instead, you're thinking about what could have been. Mm-hmm. And salvaging getting one out of three. Yeah, see, like, I, I would have used Naris. If, if you're going to use Naris for one out in the eighth after throwing 12 pitches in the previous two games, yes, back-to-back games, I'm using him a third game in a row. And, and, and even if you're going to tell me well, that's not possible, okay, well, I'm going Seth Martinez because I'm demoting Rafael Montero to my lowest leverage spot. Uh, something else that uh, Dusty's just weird, too, with, like, his lineups, and let's just use the Dodgers series as the microcosm here. Bly Madris oh. started Saturday over Chaz and Dubon. What? Like, why is a Bly Madrid starting over a Chaz McCormick, who is your third-best OPS player that's active on this team, and Dubon? At Chaz, least he didn't look overmatched, and he, and he was productive. Exactly. Jeez. I mean, he got on base. He walked, right? But he was the only hitter in the lineup that didn't get a hit. And it's not like Chaz McCormick is playing every day where he needs a day off. Mauricio Dubon's not playing every day where he needs a day off. And Bly Madrid is starting over both of them. Makes no sense. And then, by the way, he hit sixth in that game. He hit a spot ahead of Corey Jolks who Friday, Jokes hit sixth, and Chaz McCormick hit eighth, and then yesterday, Chaz hits fifth. All righties. Again. Head-scratching things that just make absolutely no sense. And the Madrid part of this is, going back to what I said, 
Dusty's still managing like he's in complete control of a team that's 10 games up in the division and he can do whatever he wants and it's not going to bite you in the butt. I mean, someone needs to knock on the manager's door every day and go, hey, Skip, just want to remind you, Jordan's still out of the lineup and this offense is underachieving. So when you fill out the lineup card, just take that into consideration because I don't think it's registering. He's just coasting again and he's doing things like he's in complete control of the division and he's going to make in the playoffs no matter what. And he's going to be right back where they were a year ago, and it's not that simple. We can throw in the Maldonado conversation here, his desire to continue to use Martin Maldonado. Uh, now, Yanner Diaz has been playing a lot more since the Jordan injury, but he's not been catching a lot more, which is a point of contention when it comes to Dusty's managing of this team. One thing that I've been watching very closely, because I think that Jordan's injury, like you have to survive it, right? Like you're not going to, Jordan's missed 15 games. No one's expecting you to go 10-5 and five when Jordan Alvarez is missing. He's one of the best players in all of baseball. He's your best offensive player. You're going to miss Jordan Alvarez. You need to try to be around 500. If you're 500 in the amount of games that Jordan misses, that's a it's huge a victory. That's yeah. a huge yep. win. Yep. So I've been monitoring real closely Dusty's usage while Jordan Alvarez has been hurt. Jordan has missed 15 games. He's missed 15 games to this point. Yiner's played 12 of those 15 games. Okay, I don't have a point of contention there. Yiner should be playing 12 of the 15 games. Now, should he be catching more? Yeah, which leads you to the next guy. Martin Maldonado has played 12 games in Jordan's absence. Martin Maldonado has played 12 games in Jordan's absence. Here are some more kind of curious things. Corey Jokes has played 11. That's a lot. Jokes has played 11 of the 15. Jake Myers has played 10 of the 15. Mauricio Dubon has played 10 of the 15. Why is Dubon less than Maldonado? Why is he less than Jokes? Why is he equal with Myers? And Chaz McCormick has played 9 of the 15. Chaz has played three fewer, has started three fewer games than Martin Maldonado in the 15 games that Jordan's been out. He has started two less games than Corey Jokes. He has started one less game than Jake Myers. What's going on? Dusty's usage of certain players is bizarre. Chaz McCormick has the third best active OPS for a Houston Astro. Why is he starting fewer games and since Jordan's injury than Martin Maldonado, Corey Jolks, and Jake Myers? It makes zero no, sense. It's puzzling. It's mind-numbing. And again, when you take into consideration, and it's not just Montero, but it starts with Montero and then other guys that have struggled to where we all see they're struggling. We all know that they probably need to take a couple days off and figure it out. Except for Dusty, who keeps putting them in the same freaking situations that they're getting in and getting eaten up and eaten alive and, and, and like falling apart. He refuses in a lot of ways. It's like he wants to just play the I'm smarter than you card and I'm defiant. And so if you think I should press A, I'm pressing B. And he's talked about how when he, he gets tired of hearing about what the fans say and tweet and social media and all this other stuff. He, I, he's got to stop managing that way because you don't have the lead that you think you had or you've had in the past. And I, I don't want Maldi playing this much. Like, 12 of the 15 games, him starting, because if, if he doesn't play, that means Jiner catches, and it means it opens up the DH spot for more Chaz, more Dubon. Jolks is already playing a ton. Jeremy, he tried to sacrifice twice, bunt twice yesterday. Yeah, they don't trust That's him. a guy, but forget the trust factor for a second. That's a hitter that knows how bad he sucks because he knows he's more likely to hit into a double play or strike out than help this team. So he figures the best thing he can do is bunt to move the runners along so that he isn't an, a, a complete negative. Mm -hmm. That's a guy that in his own mind knows how bad he is. I had a thought yesterday, and I, I think I'm 100% right. I always think that. Yeah. Dusty's managing the Astros like a National League team. 
like an old school National League team with a pitcher batting. And Martin Maldonado Martin, is his pitcher, yeah. and he's bunting in bunting situations. He's stealing a bunch of bags. Dusty Baker's managing the Can Astros I just say like this a and maybe you think I'm wrong. NL team. I think that I think that was Maldi on his own. Maybe. I don't think I don't think Dusty put the bunt on. I think he put on the safety squeeze. But the sacrifice probably not. Like, that could have been on Maldi. I really feel like Maldi knows how bad he is right now, and mm. Maldi, in his own mind, as a baseball guy, says, "If I get this thing down, especially both times, there, he, it, I did my job." Maldi could have, but it would have been it would have been preordained because you have to let the runner know. You have to That's let the true. runner know. That's true. So maybe, but it would have happened before the pitch. Now the the other sacrifice earlier, I completely believe that. that, that I yeah. completely believe that. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Let's go out to the HRMP listener line, Willie. You're in the hive of the Killer Bees. What's up, Willie? Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. I think Willie makes good points. Uh, they're points I don't agree with. I think it's the beauty of baseball. I think it's the beauty of sports talk is that you have two opposing sides. Uh, the Martin Maldonado bunts, like the, the two that he had last week where he laid them down, I think Maldonado's a good bunter. Yesterday was not a good example of that. The safety squeeze, the popped-up sacrifice. Those were Yesterday he had a bad bunting game. Maldonado, even Eduardo Perez mentioned that. Martin Maldonado is a good bunter. I agree. But there's not a whole lot of value in bunting. Like Maldi's not going to bunt for many base hits. And when Maldi lays down a base hit, like a bunt, you're looking to move the runner, but you're also giving up an out. So, like, it's cool that Maldi is normally a good bunter. He's also giving away an out when he bunts. Now the out is just less punitive because you're moving a runner ahead 90 feet. Situation also matters, Jeremy. Tons. And so that's why it's easy to say, hey, last week against the Guardians or against Cleveland, he didn't. you're not mentioning that bunt. Well, that bunt didn't happen at a time when it was critical and it really mattered, as opposed to the situations we're talking about in particular yesterday, and how they matter. So I think that has to be factored in in the in the case of anything that we're looking at. You can have a, a differing viewpoint, but you also have to be open-minded enough to realize <clears throat> the situation completely matters in terms of how critical it is to be how critical we will be about it. Now, he's he's bunted in, in like, bunting situations. I think he's a good bunter, too. I, I will say that, too. Yeah, he's bun- he's bunted in, in like he's not bunting for hits. He's not bunting in like times where it's not smart to sacrifice. Like I, the timeliness of the sacrifice bunt makes sense. They're treating him like a National League pitcher that used to hit before the inter- the uh, the universal DH. But unlike Jake, he's an intelligent baseball player, he and is. we know that. So I think that he knows the situation. He's capable of executing fundamental baseball plays like a bunt. Mm-hmm. Those were just horrible bunts. And then the the point that Willie made about. Um, First off, the pitcher's throwing to him. Yep. Willie, you're right. We don't know many pitchers that say that they rather pitch to Yiner or that we don't know that they're going to Dusty saying they want to throw to Maldi, just like you don't know. So, like, we don't have that information. So, like, if we can't jump to the conclusion that the pitchers are want to throw to Yiner, we can't jump to the conclusion that pitchers want to throw to Maldi. Uh, Hunter Brown has mentioned that he likes throwing to Maldi. Like, that, that's one example. Ryan Presley was on with the bench saying like all of the good stuff that Maldonado does, but Ryan Presley also said he likes throwing to both guys. Mm-hmm. So like what is true, what is not? You really can't jump to conclusions either way. Maldi has way more experience, we'll give you that. Also, if we're both, you know, Willie and everybody else is watching these things from an outsider's perspective, we obviously don't know the inner workings of the conversations that are being had. 
But we know this team, we know where it sits in the standings. We know where it sits offensively. We know that their best player is on the shelf. And we know that Yiner Diaz is hitting the baseball. So at a certain point, we've talked about on this show, you have to go out of your way to make sure he's in the lineup and get creative. Well, you don't have to be as creative if his main position is a position where he hits better than the other guy. And quite frankly, he fields and throws better than the other guy this year. You can make the argument about the on-field coach, psychologist with the pitching staff, all that. But if all things other than that are in the favor of the younger player with the better bat, you've got to play him right now. Yeah, the um, like the catcher ERA stuff, I don't put a whole lot of stock in because I think it's really nuanced. Like, who who are they catching? Which teams are they playing when they catch? I, I, I kind of throw that stat out. They're very similar, though, between Maldonado and Diaz. Like, they're almost identical. Uh, so if that matters to you, it doesn't matter to me. I'll be the first one to tell you. Uh, then it, there's really not a whole lot of difference there. Willie asked, "Why not? Yiner, why aren't we talking about when Yiner has failure?" Uh, you know, mentioned the double plays and look, Yiner's not perfect. Yiner ne- never walks. Yiner, whatever, every pitch that Yiner sees is a pitch that he likes. But the difference is Yiner has an OPS above 800, and Martin Maldonado has an OPS of 543. So, like, Yiner Diaz is a really good offensive player. Yiner Diaz, of any active Astro, is the second-best OPS guy on the team. So that's why Yiner Diaz gets the benefit of the doubt on a couple of double play balls is because he has an OPS north of 500, and Martin Maldonado is hitting buck seventy-eight. That's why. That's why. Like, you bring up a good point. We don't point to the criticisms of good hitters a lot because they're good hitters. The, the Naris getting hot thing, that's, a, again, a good point by Willie. I'll, I'm willing to concede that. I personally would have used Naris in the eighth inning. If you're going to use him for an out, I think you can use him for the entire inning. I will listen to the argument that you didn't want to use him three games in a row, three days in a row, completely understand. Only threw 12 pitches Friday, Saturday combined, but yes, he did get hot. Completely agree. If, if we want to if we want to throw Naris out of the conversation completely, I will agree. Let's throw Naris out of the conversation should not have been used yesterday. But you go to Martinez, not Montero. Right. That's where I'm There's at just, with that. Again, know the situation. This isn't against Cleveland or Washington. This isn't one of those games like any other game. Whether you want to admit it or not, this game, this team has been scuffling. This team is playing the Dodgers on national TV. This team has done a great job coming back from early adversity and being down in the game to be in a position of strength and control. And you don't bring in a guy that has been serving lunch on a platter and screaming hit me to everything he throws at a hitter for the last two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of uh, Willie. Good count, good counterpoints, and I think a lot of people would agree with you too. We're probably just not two that would. Three four zero three Diaz plus far outweighs any mistakes he's made. Chete has seemingly had more pass balls. Aaron throws batting's horrendous. Pitcher's ERA difference between the guy that steps up, stays up overnight studying and the rookie is negligent. And look, I, I believe in the hidden intangibles. I really do. And I'm not saying you need a bench Maldonado, but I think that the catcher ratio should be a little bit more even. Uh, 9723, Dusty could lead Houston to an 81 game winning streak and win the World Series, and I still wouldn't vote to bring him back next season. If he wins 81 in a row and brings another title, I'm cool with him coming back. Uh, 3403, Dusty Defenders, he didn't make the roster just because they hand you a wet noodle to hammer with. Doesn't mean you got to use it. He doesn't use the, he didn't use the tools last year when they handed him Vasquez. Well, you know. I, I would agree with that, and then you push back with me on the numbers when they did have yeah. equal amounts of at-bats. Vasquez did not force his way into we the We know that the year. two guys that they went and acquired 
had a resume that said they were supposed to be better hitters when the they got them. Back of their baseball yeah, card. Yeah, and they just didn't live up to it. So that's, it a, that, that's a different story. But this year, when you're putting minor league lineups out there, when you know you're struggling offensively and you have guys on that roster, on that bench, that have been hot enough or capable that are capable enough of doing better, and you don't put them in the lineup, and you can, and they're healthy, that's a problem. The uh, we were talking about the fifteen games since Jordan's been injured. The fifteen games, the starts since Jordan's been hurt. Greg Kessinger has started two. Caesar Salazar has started one. Bly Madrid has started one. Like, inexcusable for a team that's more than five games out of first place. And you're not. You've used Chaz nine out of fifteen. You've Dubon ten out of fifteen. Those guys don't need days off. Like he doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And what's weird too is that make sense. It was yesterday Altuve's day off probably maybe saved them that game. Well, he has the, a bad heel. The diving catch from Dubon, but in in the past, like they put Dubon at second, and Altuve gets the day off. He's not DHing. It's a half day. Take right. the, give him the half day. Yeah, remember he, like it, a full and day. he used Altuve as a pinch hitter in one of those games. Yeah. He did. Yes, he did. So like he can get one at bat, but he can't get four. But he can't get four. Can't get four. And he can, I mean, as a DH, and you can make an argument that Altuve is the DH and Dubon is the second baseman is the the right move because Dubon's a better defender well, we than Altuve. We talked about that in the good earlier, but that diving uh, play last Dubon, night was incredible. Dubon's it was a great play. got range all over. How the about the, how difficult the coming in, kind of catching the ball on the right hop, but then being able on the dead run to to sling it across his body to get the guy at first base which is a tough throw that a lot of second basemen would throw away, and I don't know that Altuve could make that play as fluidly, and he definitely doesn't have the same you know, strength in his arm. No. Dubon made a couple of just really good defensive plays yesterday. Dubon's quite a bit better defensively than Altuve. That play up the Pretty... middle when you can't put the shift on and he crossed over second base and made that play was impressive. And even if Altuve gets there, to your point, he doesn't have the arm. No, he doesn't. Dubon's got an arm. Like Dubon is a good Really good defensive infielder. Really good. He's no uh, Mookie Betts, though. <laughs> Tony says, are we watching Dusty go senile before our eyes? Maybe. Jolks and, and uh, Jake are starting more games than Chaz. Could he, he be the managerial version of Abreu? He's a sabbatical. We're watching them get old and fall apart right before our eyes. He is going fishing today in Illinois. In Illinois. <laughs> I mean, look, sometimes I don't blame him for that, these though. guys, managers, a lot of times I feel like get a pass just because the team won the World Series. I think that's what we're seeing right now. I gave him a pass until today. I, I've give, I was the biggest Dusty critic last year. People were hating me, as critical as I was for so Dusty. So I'll never have to hear in Dusty, we trust thee again. Oh, and no, it's if, coming If back. they win a World Series. They win oh, the World it's Series. it's coming back. They win Stop the World it. Series. June 26th. Mark it. How many games? 79 or whatever? What did I say? Win the World Series. Dusty Baker, Maldonado back as your starting catcher. Fine. We'll be having these same conversations you, yeah, next year. No, Can't wait. It might be June 26th. We had these conversations a year ago. I'll give him half the season. <laughs> and said the only bailout is if he wins the World Series and doesn't do this stuff in the and playoffs. And then he won a World Series and didn't did. do these things in the playoffs. And that turned over the new lead for Jeremy. How are you starting Kessinger, Salazar, and Madris four games? I looked at combined Madris in no. that lineup the other day and going, not now. Not against this team. Unbelievable. What are we doing? And no, Ch- Chaz and Dubon were, were available. Yeah, so I said it. You had <laughs> capable guys on the bench. It's ridiculous. 713-780-ESPN. No longer trusty dusty. 713-780-3776. We do it every Monday at 1.30. Mailbag Monday. You can ask the Killer Bees whatever you want, Lamont. You can ask us whatever you want. Call or text 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. You've got mail. It's Mailbag Monday with the Killer Bees. Something's in the bag. Mommy? Mommy? What's in the bag? Oh, what's in the box? 
I have a suggestion already for, for Frank. Yeah? We need to upgrade that to the money, 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 and the uh, Puff Daddy version of... Go on. Songs that... <laughs> In the back, it just—I think we could upgrade that one. All right, you have editing software. Nah. <laughs> what happened to the bathroom? Made you turn your hat on backwards? Nothing. It's the halfway point in the show. <laughs> okay, I like it. Seven First half frontwards, <laughs> second half backwards. <laughs> what went on in there? <laughs> You're assuming seven, one, I went three, to the bathroom. I went seven, to tell eight. AD to warm it up a little bit in here too. Thank you for doing that. Thank yeah, you. For, it welcome. is. It is a bit chilly. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Mailbag Monday. Ask the Killer Bees whatever you want. Whatever you want. Uh, call or text. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. Lamont, what's your question for the Killer Bees on our Mailbag Monday? Hey man, I was uh, calling about the uh, the Rockets, but I want to touch on this uh, uh, Dusty uh, uh, stuff because I actually uh, do trust Dusty. If we using mathematical logic here, uh, Dusty has been the same person that went to the uh, the seven game of the ACDLF. Uh, uh, uh he went, he lost a World Series. He won a World Series. The only variable, uh, Dusty is the constant here. He's the constant. The variable here. Is the players are underperforming right now, and it's it, it just wild that no one really wants to say that. Uh, I don't care about all this lineup crap. Uh, uh, he need to do this. He need to do that. Dusty's been doing Dusty uh, uh, since he's been in Houston, and, 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 and it's still net of games. The players are just underperforming right now, and I, I, I mean, I look at everything from a, uh, a mathematical uh, uh, standpoint, and I don't get why people don't mean. I know radio got to do what radio do. To make a show, uh, but 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 I'm gonna go on from now. Uh, my other thing is, uh, uh, if if the Rock, uh, uh, if the Astros would have get, uh, given uh, uh, Kyle Tucker uh, the big money that he wanted, how would it uh, look right now? And my last thing is, uh, uh, and this is for Joe, Joe, uh, uh, how is it? How is it that the the twentieth round Rockets pick looks more advertising looks more advertising than the. Uh, than the fourth-round pick. And what I mean by that is it, it, it seems like everybody is all jacked up about, about a 20th-round pick. And I don't, I don't hear too much about this uh, uh, fourth-round pick. And that's all I have, fellas. All right, that does it for who said it, or for the Mailbag Monday. <laughs> wow. Oh, man, Lamont. I love it, though, Lamont. Way to bring the heat. Go ahead, Joel. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't Let want to ask me Let me do with the last that. part of it first. Fourth-round pick and yeah, the 20th Yeah, so round the pick. number four pick in the first round, Amen Thompson as opposed to Cam Whitmore, the 20th pick. And the reason why people are more excited is, one, where you got him. We talk about the value of where you were picked. This was a guy that had top five talent in this draft class. And we talk about tiers. And we talk about that first tier was three guys deep. Well, the second tier, which was about a handful of players, Cam Whitmore was in that. And whether you thought he was going to be the fourth pick, the fifth pick, or potentially the 10th pick, he was the 20th pick, and you got him there. And this is like the equivalent of when Belichick looks at players and thinks about trading up for them and all the people with rumors about what they're going to have to do if they even think they got a chance at him, and then lo and behold, it falls into your lap. Cam Whitmore fell into the guy into Rafael Stone in the Rockets' lap, and when you take the two players side by side, you're drafting at number four, Amen Thompson, because of his overall upside for the length of his career. The same is said for for Whitmore, but at the same time, he has the ability to come in this year and potentially help you where I don't think they're going to give Amen Thompson the reins and say, you're going to start at point guard. I think with the the pick at 20, you got a player 
that has the upside for the long term and the short term. Whereas if you take Amen Thompson, I think he was taken for the long term possibilities because he's he's raw. Yeah, uh, I agree with everything that you said. Uh, as far as uh, Lamont's point about Dusty, I actually agree with Lamont. I think a bigger problem with this team is that the players are underperforming, that they're being mismanaged. The fact that they are underperforming is what it, it's what makes us look at Dusty with a magnifying glass. It makes us look at Dusty a little bit closer. If the Astros were six games up, these silly things that he does over the course of 162 wouldn't matter. We wouldn't care about it nearly as much. But because the players are underperforming, it, it does make us look at Dusty with a little bit more scrutiny. But I don't disagree. I think, it, I think but a I bigger think problem also, is the underperformance. And I was looking for the best way to kind of give an analogy to Lamont that, that could relate to this. But if you're trying to win say you're in a track meet and you're trying to win an event and you've got the best sprinter on the planet trying to win the hundred uh-huh. but you feel like he needs to rest you're going to take the uh, young unproven up-and-coming sprinter and try and win the event for you instead then i think that's on you as the, the coach in either situation of saying i have a resource at my fingertips that could help me win this event that i need to win but instead, I'm choosing to go a different direction with an unproven talent or lesser proven talent with lesser abilities to this point in the season. And I think that should be okay. And I don't. I don't think that's okay. Yeah. I don't know if 100's the race that I would use for baseball, but, but I get your No, point. I'm saying because I'm saying because it's an event. Right. If it would be a distance runner. I know that I've got a, a miler or, a, you know, an 800 that's a runner that's one of the best in the in the world. But I'm going to take this young, unproven kid from college and give him a chance right now to try and shock the world and show him how great they can be. You're not in a position to do that this year. Yeah. 713-780-3776. What's your mailbag question for the Killer Bees? 713-780-3776. Ocho, you both accurately laid out multiple ways Dusty's mismanaged the team this season, yet you say firing him now would be ridiculous. What would justify his immediate termination? Mrs. Brown's little girl. I don't know that there's anything that would. Yeah, I mean, if he does something off the field, he would have to be off. Stupid, he would have to be off. The yeah, field. I just think you won a World Series last year. I, I don't think there's anything that he could do on the field, even if he makes in-game gaffes. I don't think that it's going to be where anything Jim Crane says he's got to go right now. No, I'm with you. There's nothing he can do other than off the field stuff, in my opinion. Joe said, "Trash cans back." Yeah. That's what the Dodgers are. Never that, mind. That's what it would take. Like, there's no way Dusty Baker is actually getting fired. What if What if Dana Brown traded for, uh, let's call it Jorge Soler. I know Miami's in the race, but let's just say Jorge Soler. And Dusty refuses to play him. I, I think that at, at a certain point, yeah, you might have a come-to-Jesus meeting that says, it's, it's Jorge Soler yeah. in the lineup. Soler or in or you're out. I'm gonna either you put Jose Soler in the lineup or I'll find somebody that will. That's right. The, but the problem is, I don't is think that, I don't think that would happen though. I really don't because we saw it last year. I mean, like if that happens again, and Danny Brown goes to Jim Crane, is like this isn't working. I wanted X player. Dusty nixed it like the Contreras deal last year. Yeah. Like I just feel like it's well, thirty more games. I think so. Like it's like you know, hopefully sixty more games and they win the World Series. But at this point, it's just. You're stuck. I mean, Crane did fire a general manager weeks after winning a title. I don't, I'm kidding. I don't think that du- Dusty's safe. There's no way Dusty's going to yeah, be I don't fired. think so either. No way. Uh, 1970, what's your go-to salad dressing? Honey mustard. Really? Yep, love it. Huh. 
I go a bunch of different salad dressings. I like a vine- good vinaigrette every now and then. I like ranch is probably the one I use the most. I like a good Caesar dressing. I, I like other salad dressings, but on my go-to, I'm going to go yeah. to honey mustard. I, I, it's hard for me to pick one. Uh, there's just so many. I eat Caesar salad the most. Caesar salad's so good. There's a there's an Italian place in Humble, not Kingwood, in Humble that has a tomato vinaigrette that is unbelievable. I can I can go for a good tomato vinegar. I like French dressing too, and garlic knot rolls that are unbelievable. Sometimes you can mix the honey mustard and some French. It's a good mix on a salad. Interesting. Huh. Yep. Have to give that a shot. Uh, four six eight three is KPJ and Tate for Buddy Hild worth looking at, assuming they can get a two to three year extension with Hild done. <laughs> assuming that they'd be open to doing that. I mean, Buddy Hield is a guy that's underachieved, though he's been known as a shooter and he still shoots it. I think from where he was drafted to what he was signed for. I think a lot of people had higher expectations for Buddy Heald, but from the standpoint of the Rockets, I think there's going to be a time, maybe sooner than later now, that they're going to have to cross roads with KPJ anyway. If you could get someone to give you Buddy Heald for those two players, the deal's already done in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I would like that Buddy Hield shooting. I'll yep. tell you that. Yep. Uh, Mega says, has if any of you seen A.J. Hoffman's MMA fight on YouTube? Is this, I, the, is this the big fat guy? I've seen that one. I've seen that one, too. I've seen that one. I've, I saw parts of one of them. I've heard a lot of stories about the others, but I can't say that, I mean, I've seen enough of them to remember them. I've seen he, he, he can go. He can go in the octagon a little bit. He can go. I think AJ can go a little bit. I wouldn't talk trash to AJ. I did. I mean, I had to. I mean, from the day I got hired here, I had to defend myself against him. So we finally came to a point where we became friends. It took a while. Here's another mailbag question from yours truly. Who would win in an, in an octagon between A.J. Hoffman and Joel Blank? Oh, I think A.J. Hoffman probably. Oh, that surprises me. I'm surprised by that answer. He's got military background, the stuff that he's been through. No, I'm not I'm not shy about saying that. Not a boy. That surprised me, you gotta, though. You got to know the answer. I, I was surprised by the answer. Why? I thought you would say you. No. Nah. I mean, he's I, got I know experience. My, yeah, I know the experience of what he's been through and what he's done. So I'm not stupid. Okay, that works. Now, for if it's me. any other sporting activity, Joel would probably pick himself. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, this is another question for yours truly. Should I fire my tax guy? He sent me uh, an invoice, and then like you know, if they send you an invoice, they send you the envelope, and they already you know put the stamp on it. Yeah. That way, you don't you're not out. You know, stamps are outrageous now. But he put a stamp of a mariachi. Oh, you think he's racist? Oh. Is he? Is my question, basically. Well, the Was question I have is, is he? He's white. So he's, I don't know him well enough to know if he's racist or not. I would seriously no, is doubt he, it. Is he of Hispanic descent? No, he's he's as white as paper. The Kleenex? Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd be offended by that. I mean, maybe he just sent someone from the office to go get stamped. Let me Should ask I you a question. Offended? Are your taxes good? Oh, they're great. Yeah, good. then I wouldn't worry they're about great. it. Yeah, because they're or great. you could be an idiot like me, screw him up, still not get your taxes back yet. Oh, he's a great tax guy. And I have guy. no idea when I'm getting Yeah, I wouldn't nitpick a great so, tax guy. So if a tax guy is borderline racist, he's still okay in your book. If you're getting the money back? You can't prove that he is, <laughs> and he's he's doing good things for you? For what it's worth, I don't think he's racist. But it was uh, it's pretty funny. He sent me a postal stamp with a mariachi I think if he hears this segment, he may make the decision on you before you you make a decision on him. I don't think I want a tax guy that listens to sports radio. Why? Why? Especially the measly midday guys. Because he'd be working. My tax guy is really good, and he listens to us all the time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, There's one other one I wanted to get here. Oh, yeah, 2484. Would you rather all your friends support one team or all of them support different teams? Say that again. Would you rather all your friends support one team or all of them support different teams? This might be tough for you because you only have a couple. 
How would you know? I don't. You're not one of them. But I like the burn. I think <laughs> I think it's fun when you have the debates. I have so many friends that are, you know, we're all transplants into Houston that have different teams that we root for in different sports. And it's always fun to hear the different opinions and and, and perspectives. Yeah. Uh... You can still have the opinions on the Astros, Rockets, and Texans. I would, I don't know. If I if I would oh, go, except you, Joe. I would go. I want them oh, all to uh, be the same. Be the be fans of the same team. Boring. Because I think it. That I think is it, boring. Yeah, but I don't want to. Like I have friends who are fans of other teams. Like I have Angel friend. Uh, Ooh, I have a really? friend who's whoever's in first place. I have bandwagon LSU fans, like those T-shirt fans. I rather have one community where we talk about all. Like, I don't care what's happening with Angels baseball a whole lot. Right. I don't care what's happening a whole lot with the Lakers well, offseason like, moves. But if they all were like about your favorite teams, all the Houston teams in this case, it's one good community to have conversation. Like, if you all are Astros fans, you can talk about everything that happened yeah, this weekend. It's better conversation. Then it's a really good conversation. You can go more in depth as yeah. to the whys and the hows. Exactly. But I think as it translates to all of them, but I think, yeah, all of them is different for all sports. I think for all sports, it's different. I think if all of your friends are like, we're all Astros fans. Right, right. But I also have friends that are fans of other teams, especially in other sports. When you can talk on a football weekend, you see so-and-so and what they did at quarterback as opposed to what happened in this game and that game and your team and why, and you can get answers. Like, if you had a bunch of Marlin fans in your group chat, uh, that'd be great because Luis Arise is an electric baseball player. But how about the Pirates? Like, you don't care the day-to-day to the Pirates. That's true. Like, you don't care about that. Uh, 6383, what's the name of that place in Humboldt, Branham? Italianos. All right, 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Rockets, free agencies right around the corner. Which free agent targets that Fagan mentioned do you like? And any way that I can talk you into Ben Simmons in Houston. It's oh the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville, best in the business at the Neograph Procedure. If you don't know what it is, but you're experiencing hair loss and you're dealing with issues with your hair where you think the only solution is to cut it off and shave it all bald or to go to the sprays and creams and foams that just mask the problem. No, I've got a solution for you, and it's a true solution. It's your own hair. It's the Neograph procedure with Doc Linville. And essentially, genetically, you're never going to lose the hair on the sides and the back of your head. If you go see Doc Linville, he'll transplant some of that hair to where you need it most, mainly up top in the back where you get the bald spot or in front where your hairline goes from a forehead to an eight head. He can handle all those things, and he does it on a daily basis. And for ESPN 97.5 listeners, he does something else. He gives you a free consultation with him and his staff that normally costs 150 bucks. but for you listening to this station, you get it for free. No obligations. You're not on the hook for anything. You go in free of charge, ask all the questions, get all the answers, see how long the procedure takes, see when the recovery goes through, when can you go back to normal activities, when will you see the full results. All those things will be answered. The one that got me, 95 to 99% of all the follicles that moved are going to stay and grow and be with you for the long haul exactly where he put them. Therefore, it makes sense because now you'll see results immediately, but in six to nine months, you'll see stronger, thicker, longer hair that's going to be there that you're going to love every single day when you look in the mirror. Check them out today. Tell them I sent you by because I can't tell you how great they are more than I already have, and I'll continue to do so because I'm so happy with them. It's the Neograph procedure. Go to 975hair.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. I like that. Bit of, a bit of brilliance that we said, Spence. That's what Spence said. I'm a fan of that. 
Uh, Blankers. Uh, what? I, I, I'm being forced to read this from not Brad Kellner. Honey mustard is a dipping sauce, not a dressing. Not surprised given Blankers eats as much ketchup as a six-year-old. Okay. It's not Brad Kellner. It wasn't me. Yeah, it wasn't Brad Kellner either. That's to each his own. Someone just decided that their opinion actually was worth something to say that. I mean. Are you saying his is not worth something yeah, or uh, yours is worth something? I think both. I think <laughs> I can do whatever I choose to do. You choose whatever you choose to do. The only difference is I don't feel it necessary to nitpick what you like to do. If that's something that you how you like to put on your food or you use it as either a condiment or a dressing, I don't give a rat's ass. I'm going to eat the, the the salads or the dressings that I like on my salads so that they become more enjoyable. That's it. Sounds like you care a little. <laughs> I care. No, I care about what I choose to do and the fact that some people feel it's their business to, like, care more about the choices I make than or tell me to do it differently. And I don't choose to listen. Quad 7, Ohio State fan. Love chatting up all the flavors of skunk in the Big Ten. Whisk skunk. Mitchie skunk. Good to chat up, people. See, like, all of my friends, none of them are U of H fans. Like, I wish all of them were U of H fans. I mean, so... Why? That way I could, we could talk. Like, I don't I don't talk U of H but athletics with as many people as I would like. You can talk mess and make bets, which I know you like to do. No, I don't... I never... Not on college sports. Never bet on college sports. No, but I'm just saying, with your friends on different sports. So, say you're an Astros fan and you're Angels friend, you could make a bet. Mm-hmm. You know, or you could talk crap when the Astros pound the Angels all the time. It's true. It's a good point. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Can I talk you into Ben Simmons? No. For what? <laughs> Here's a trade proposal from Bleacher Report. And for the record, I lean no, but listen to it. Rockets received Ben Simmons. A 2027 first, 2026 second, 2028 second. Nets receive Kevin Porter Jr. What's Ben Simmons got left on his contract? Two or three? Two. Two. So that makes sense. And you get a couple firsts for him. A little closer than you thought, isn't it? I yeah. would do this deal. You get, you get think, one first. You get one first. Two seconds. I, I. It's worth considering because of the fact that <laughs> you get the extra sweeteners and because you get rid of KPJ and you don't have to endure him to a point where he his money takes up when you when you want to resign your young guys, yeah, um, you talked all that mess and now you're on board. I can't stay. I mean, look, even JJ Redick, who had to who had to come back and say, "Look, I'm friends with Ben Simmons, but I don't want to talk about Ben Simmons or hear about Ben Simmons until Ben Simmons figures out that it's time for him to get on the court and play a little." Uh, good for JJ Redick for being able to say that because a lot of people would, you know, especially if they're friends with someone, wouldn't have the cajones and stones to say that on national TV. I've seen. So much of Ben Simmons that I don't see, need to see any more of him and his flashy, fashionable stuff on the sidelines and, uh, you know, making up excuse after excuse. But when you start talking about the fact that you could get some picks back. Right. See, that's what I think this trade is Kevin Porter Jr. for picks. Mm-hmm. And Ben Simmons makes it so you don't have to spend all that money in free agency. Facts. Because right now the Rockets have to spend a ton of money on players who, like, People talk about Brooke Lopez, and their response is, well, I don't want Brooke Lopez to pay, play over this guy. Well, if you trade for Ben Simmons, right. he's not going to play. He's not going to play over guys. Well, I think he's he just, would. Oh, no, no, no. I think he might start a point guard Exactly. I think he'd start a point guard Exactly. If the Rockets do this trade, he's your starting point guard. Yes, he is. You think he would start over a man? 
Yeah. Oh, God. I think a Ben Thompson's not starter no matter what day one. I agreed. I completely agree. See, with Ben well, like, Simmons. Like 10 days before Ben nope, Simmons gets hurt? Nope, nope, no. Nope. Nope. Oh, maybe if he gets hurt. He should. I don't want him to start next year. I don't either. He shouldn't. No. And, and from the Ben Simmons perspective, at least you're trying to capitalize on what he does best. Facilitator, distributor, defense. decision maker, and defense. Especially for Doka. And, and again, we know that there are, our biggest problem a year ago in talking about the Rockets team was everybody wants to shoot it including the point guard, who also loves to turn it over. If you get a true point guard, which is what we've been harping for, who just wants to get it in the hands of the guys that are open so they can shoot it, and we know Ben certainly doesn't want to shoot it, it would be a match that you can make work for a couple of years. Ocho says Rockets just drafted Ben Simmons' kid, Gilchrist, and Ben Thompson. <laughs> kind of a burn to a bunch of people there, Ocho. Uh, this is this is how I want the Rockets to spend their money, quite frankly. Like I, I don't want James Harden, Fred Van Vliet. I'm cool with, but at four years, I hesitate. At four lot. years, I don't really love the idea of overspending. If I could get a couple of first round draft picks by absorbing two bad contracts that end in a year or two, that's how I would like the Rockets to actually use their draft, their cap capital. Especially when you know this is the last year that you have even an outside chance of controlling and having your own pick. Mm-hmm. It's it's top four protected, or it goes to OKC. And then it's just a a mishmash of I mean a mishmash of of just ways you're going to lose your first round pick for the next I think almost till 2030, and the picks that you have from the Nets you don't know where they're going to be. So if you can try and get out from under that a little bit, get a first in two seconds, and get a guy that's at least playable still, I, I, I you consider it. Yeah, I, this is the type of trade I want. Like I want the Rockets to get rid of some of their guards. I don't think Kevin Porter Jr. is a point guard. Uh, I would like maybe a Jay Sean Tate to be gone as well. Yep. And I want I don't want the Rockets to sign bad contracts that could put them in a in a bad spot with their young nucleus going forward. Like Fran, uh, Fred Van Vliet on a four-year deal, does that cost me one of Jabari, Jalen, Alpi? If it does, I don't want the fourth year on, uh, on Van Vliet. But I don't want it on Ben Simmons. Like I want this type of trade, but not Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons can't play. Like Ben Simmons is un- isn't going to play basketball. Like he's always hurt. He's always coming up with excuses not to play. He's been paid. His best years were his first couple of years in the NBA. I just can't count on Ben Simmons. So this type of trade, I love. Use your cap space to bring back in draft capital, not inflated contracts for overpriced free agents. But I draw the line at Ben Simmons. Yeah, I don't know if he's hurt. So much as maybe mentally he just can't find a way to figure out how to want to play. Is that, is that better? No, it's just it's a different kind of a problem, right? you yep. you got to be a little bit more sensitive if it's truly something he's dealing with. I don't know. I just know that he's ne- he, I can't count on him to be on the court. Yeah. Now, at a certain point, for all the money that you continue to steal from teams, you either have to figure it out, and if you get a clean start yet again, in, in, in closer to where when you were playing at LSU and you were playing against the Cougs and you were playing against other teams and people knew what you could do, that maybe you could find a way to where from the start with a coach like Udoka who's going to praise him for his defense, yeah. praise him for his passing, his decision-making, and know that you get a guy with size that can kind of blend in. And Udoka comes into him and says, hey, look, I've played against you. I've coached against you before. I know what you can do. I'm going to maximize everything you do well. You do that, and we're going to be just fine. And see what you get out of him. Because I, th- I think the other bonuses too, Jeremy, and you made me bring it. Made it came to my mind when you said this. It's not only just the fact that you get some picks back. You unload a bad contract yourself because there's no way that actually two. You shouldn't have made the contract with KPJ where you had to put all the clauses in to cover your ass. Well, it's easy to get out of though. But the Tate contract's worse 
because you signed them before you had to to a long-term, bigger money deal that you didn't have to do, and now you've got a, a logjam of players that play that position. Agreed. Now, Tate's contract's not massive. No, but it's a problem. It's under $7 million a year, and then the 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 um, the KPJ, it has opt-outs after every year. So it's not a it difficult does. contract right. to get out of. I think not it's a just, good one. I just but, think it wasn't a good contract to sign. Yeah, I'm with you on that, but it's easy to get out of. Uh, seven, Tate was the one, though, that I was. I, you could get out from under that. I wouldn't be mad at this trade, but I don't do it. Right. Now, if I can get draft picks by using my cap space, totally on board with that. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713 you repurpose Ben Simmons? That's that's it's ideal. In, it's intriguing. Yeah. Uh, it is intriguing because he's saying, a good you, talent. Yeah, you could. Yeah, someone else, someone else wanting to take a risk on him, fixer upper. Yeah, you chip just, and Joanna Gaines. You make the first trade and then find another home for Ben Simmons. Which of Fagan's free agents makes sense in Houston? Killer Bees, ESPN ninety seven five, ESPN ninety two five.